This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 31. This is Writing Excuses Microcasting! Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm uh, totally working on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Microcasting not, comes along and I'm, she checks I'm, out. <laughs> Howard, you, you can say something if you want. Okay. I'm done. We I'm are done. at the Writing Excuses You're Out of Excuses retreat. Thank you all for listening over there on the floor. And I'm going to start asking questions really quickly before we um, degenerate further. <laughs> All right. How do you set goals and work under a deadline? Any tips for the listeners? I say you, you multitask by working on the computer while doing a podcast at the same time. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it works so well. She was actually working on something for the podcast yeah. listener. She was adding in the spreadsheet for, for producer Jordo. Um, how did you guys? I set uh, word count goals. Yeah. Um, I, it, word count goals at my state in my career work far better than time goals because I'm going to spend the time. Um, now, early in my career, time goals were more important to me than word count goals because I didn't know my process as well. I couldn't guarantee I'd hit a certain word count. And I could say, is if I spend these four hours sitting here writing and not doing other things, then I can take a break and do something else. I do a mix of word count and time. Okay. Um, I have an overall word count goal, but I use time goals to get to the word count goal because I'm a natural procrastinator. Mm. And uh, setting a timer uh, forces me to have an external deadline and keeps me from getting up out of the chair to go I vacuum have, I have more of a page count goal, really. Mm. I, I break the comic down into rows of work. Right. Uh, a Sunday comic is three rows of scripting, three rows of penciling, three rows of inking. Um, and then the dailies are each, you know, one row of that. And so uh, nine times three is 27. So a week of comics is 27 rows of work. And generally speaking, uh, I want to complete at least 10 rows of work per day. Mm -hmm. um, and some days, some days suck. And I, I look at it and say, you know what? I got six rows of work done. I, I have to call that good because they were really good rows. And other days, uh, I knock it out of the park and I, I have an 18-row day. Um, and I actually keep track of the rows. I make mm -hmm. little uh, little indentations in my kneaded eraser that's stuck to the table you know, so yeah. I can see the progress. Because each one of those little dots represents about 20 to 30 minutes of work. And... And that helps me. It, it's a progress bar. It's a loading bar. Right. It helps. When I am working under a deadline, I do write my word counts in a spreadsheet. I say, I started mm -hmm. at this word count of my store book, and I got to this one, and I will gauge how well I'm doing. I started doing that on this last book, and I'd never done it before. It was interesting. Uh, my goals that I, that I do are all by scene um, when mm -hmm. I'm writing, that I will try to complete a scene before lunch or a scene mm -hmm. before I have to go do this other thing. Because I want to be able to complete the thought, so to speak. You know, well, I'm. Some of them are so set. short. <laughs> I, some of them are very I'm short hungry. because I'm hungry. <laughs> I need to complete this scene before it's second time breakfast. to go. <laughs> but what that would be, I mean, the, the flip side to that is that sometimes it's dinner time and my kids are all screaming and I haven't finished a scene and so I will go back and write for a few more hours again late at night because I want to, I want to close that thought. 
So, are writing can contests worth it, and which ones are good? Never done one. Okay. Um, I submitted a couple of times to Writers of the Future. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people have had really good success with that. It mm -hmm. totally depends on the writing contest yeah. and what you mean by worth it. Right. Um, the only one that is worth it monetarily that I know of is Writers of the Future. Now, there is also that Amazon breakout novel contest. I'm, I've heard both good things and bad things about that contest. Um, but let's give you a few guidelines. Um, you really shouldn't be paying to enter the contest, except maybe a very nominal fee. Um, but most of the contests I know of are free to play. And if they aren't, I look various. I would look very askance at them because they may just want you to be giving them money. Yeah, actually, if you go to the SIFWA uh, website, mm -hmm. and again, we'll put this link in the liner notes on Writer Beware, they have a list of yeah. contests to avoid. Right. I would... Uh, I, I would posit. I actually did submit to Writers of the Future once, and there have been uh, there have been a number of um, uh, illustration contests that right. I have looked at and then decided not to participate in. Uh, I would argue that worth it includes the imposition of an artificial deadline for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that if you yes. need yeah. if you need mm -hmm. a deadline mm -hmm. in order to finish a story for a contest, please finish the story for the contest. Um, I would be careful. I mean, obviously, the writer beware stuff is yeah. is important. There are in the cartooning and comic book world, there are a lot of contests that really are just farming the community for free IP. Yes. Yeah. you have to be careful. And that in the writing community, there's a ton of those yeah. as well. Um, I I actually forgot. That, sorry, my first three sales were essentially a contest. Okay. Uh, that I I wrote. Um, it was a magazine called The First Line, mm -hmm. um, and they quarterly, and every story in the magazine starts with the same first sentence. Okay. So um, it wasn't really a contest. It's right. just, you know, that's it's yeah. a, a themed... Right. Here's the, my take on writing contests. Uh, if, I, if I kind of boil it down, I say publishing in a magazine as a new writer is a contest in and of itself. Yes. Every submission you make to a, a major magazine is like a contest. And so why are you submitting to a contest that pays a $50 price when you could be sitting to, sending to a paying market and win, quote-unquote, several hundred dollars in having your publication credit in a major reputable yeah. magazine? That's going to go far further for you. The reason Rise of the Future tends to be regarded so highly is because they put a lot of money into it. And, then, um, and there's a workshop that goes yes. with winning. Yeah, and so it is a good contest, and there are other good contests, but look and see who are the judges. Are the judges respected in their field? What are they paying out? Does it compare to just selling the story to a, a legitimate magazine that would pay more and then give you that credit? And Ask yourself all these things, um, and start skeptical would be my suggestion. All right. How do you make it clear that the weird aspects of your world are on purpose and, in, and not just bad science? I'm looking at you, Howard, um, because, or, you know, Mary, you've done a lot of, um, of, of cool science fiction in this way. Well, you know, I actually ran into, uh, into that with Without a Summer because I was using a natural event, uh, which was 1816 is the year Without a Summer, so it was mm -hmm. naturally freezing cold. Right. And my beta readers all thought it was being caused by magic. Mm. So the way I dealt with that was uh, by basically hanging a flag on it. Yeah. Um, by having characters within the world question the weather and say, "Is it is it caused by 
the cold yeah. mongers and then having people having reliable witnesses say no of course it's not um so dealing with it in world was pretty much the only way i could yeah. hang a lantern it. on it mm -hmm. the uh, uh i had i had that exact problem with um uh random access memorabilia uh i talk about the uh, gravitation on the surface and uh and the apparent mass of the object um and readers were emailing me saying, "Ah, oh, you realize this doesn't work. That if you have something that dense and it's actually a, you know, it's a black hole on the inside. You know, I already did all the math on this, and you've got it totally wrong." Um, and and bless their hearts, you know, five yeah. strips later, uh -huh. uh, we've got characters who are saying, um, "If I'm reading these numbers right, something's really, really wrong. This doesn't sound natural." Um, and that was actually part of the puzzle. We are standing on an artifact in which there may very well be a button that turns off the unnatural aspect of this, and we will all turn into jelly instantly. I no longer feel good about this mission. Um, and yeah, you, you got to hang a lantern on it. Yeah, yeah. And you, you have to. The the trick is also that you have to hang that lantern on at a point before the reader checks out of the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, My problem with updating every twenty four hours. Dan, um, I would add that, that you can be too subtle about this, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I, is a problem I ran into in the partial series. And, and I, I say I ran into this. I did this on purpose because I was curious to see what happened. Uh, one aspect of my post-apocalyptic world is that uh, the climate has changed and weather has changed. And I wanted to see if I could get away with not ever being overt about that. And so in the course of the first two books, you, we cover about 18 months worth of time without it ever getting cold. There is never snow. We never have winter. But I never mention that because to the characters it's totally normal. It's been normal. 20 years. Right. And what's happened, what I've seen is that no one's picked that up except for the French translator <laughs> who assumed it was wrong and wrote to me to ask. And I, I realized that unless people were reading with that level of granularity, they were just totally missing it as a plot point. So... Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Now, Dan, you also have our book of the week. I do have the book of the week. It is The Madman's Daughter by Megan Shepard. This is not a book I expected to like uh, because it is a gothic romance, but it is also a fantastic Victorian science fiction horror novel. It is a retelling of the island of Dr. Moreau from the point of view of uh, Moreau's teenage daughter who he left behind when he went into exile. Mm. And she ends up on the island with him and discovers all this stuff. Absolutely breathless gothic romance girly stuff but combined with just gruesome 
Victorian horror um, and the science fiction of all the animals and everything. I loved every minute of this book. It's fantastic. Excellent. Howard, how can they get it? Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Download a copy and uh, awesome gothic horror and a retelling of The Island of Dr. Moreau. All right. Next question. How do you know when to quit or take a break from your writing? When it's not fun. Okay. When it wait when it's not fun and you don't have a deadline. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I say that because I just had to write a thing, and I'm not going to identify it too closely, but I just had to write a thing that I had sold without having written yet, mm-hmm. um, and had no enthusiasm for. So I had to craft my way through. You know, mm-hmm. just like, all right, here are all the tools. Um, so, so you know, when it's not fun and you don't have a deadline. And, you know, the fun, funny thing about that is, just as an aside, um, I have found that readers are not very good at telling when yeah. you are passionate and where you are craftsman your way through it. In fact, they will get that mixed up most of the times. Mm-hmm. Um, because once it's gone through the revision process and you've worked on it, you will have worked in the passion. You And anyway, it's, it's actually very interesting that the further I go as a writer, people can't tell which are the bad chapters and which are the good chapters when I originally wrote them. Yeah, that's what my colorist is for. <laughs> Dan, you're smirking. It's because it's funny. Okay. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I'll ask I'm you the next one first. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question is, they would like a quick rundown of word count and size limits for first-time authors in different genres. Uh, is uh, such ooh. a thing exist? They're um, changing all the time is the problem. Mm-hmm. When Brandon and I first started going to cons and trying to get published, uh, first-time author, people would tell us, do not go over 100,000. Right. And, and this was epic fantasy, we're, this, which this we were was, both we were writing both at the time. We were trying to do epic fantasy at the time. Um, a few years ago, that had gone up to about 120, is yeah. what I kept hearing from editors. Don't pitch me anything over 120. And Elantris was 250, and I sold it. Yeah, and it was yeah. my first book. I, I think the the way to find this out is when you are at a convention and yeah. try to get to a convention. Ask ask the editors. Ask the editors you know, what lengths yeah. are you looking for, um, and, I, and they'll yeah. they'll try to get away with well, you know, the length of the story. But you're not like no, seriously, what what length does your line tend um, to run? Let's let's talk about why this is though. Um, there are some legit reasons for this that are. Granted, becoming less and less important as ebooks um, become a big part of the market. But a book that is longer costs more for a lot of different reasons. It oh, is. The n- editing is. Yeah. It's actually the editing is the smallest part of it. It is the editing, but the editing is important. It's things I didn't realize. For instance, a big book like the ones I write do not fit, you can't fit as many on a shelf. And so the bookstores will take fewer copies of those because it's less profitable for the bookstore. And that's the, actually the biggest drawback for the new writer. There's also the fact that new readers, readers picking up an author, are much more likely to pick up a short book than a long book by somebody they don't recognize. Mm -hmm. Even though some of us in Epic Fantasy love long books and we look for them, the general reader would rather have the short book. And that's where these word limit requirements come from, particularly in children's fiction, Mm -hmm. um, where they'll say, you know, keep your your middle grade novel between 35 and 50,000 words, particularly as a new writer. And you can point at Harry Potter and say, look, this was bigger. You can point at lots of things. And sure, great things that are bigger will still sell. And you can write something great that's bigger. But if you're asking this question, you're generally curious about it. And these are the reasons. If you want to get that that larger audience, you don't want to scare kids off. I remember in Montreal when we interviewed 
Moshe mm-hmm. the podcast. Um, and he said, when I look at a manuscript, um, one, of the, one of his criteria is, how much work do I think this is going to take to fix? Yes. Because every manuscript is going to take work mm-hmm. to fix. As a first-time author, you mm. are an unknown quantity. Mm-hmm. And if they look at the manuscript and say, oh, this is almost ready, well, that's awesome. Um, but if they look at the manuscript, average manuscript, well, this manuscript is going to need some work. And it's 180,000 words long, and I don't know this author. I don't know how long they took to write this. I don't know what the turnaround's going to be like. The schedule is completely up in the air. Uh, it's a, they're, they're taking a real right. risk. Yeah. No, that's very astute. Um, the other thing, the other aspect of the uh, length and break in writers is, of course, with short fiction. Uh-huh. Um, when I was starting, because print was the thing, um, I found that 4,000 word stories were pretty darn easy to sell, mm. Com- you know, comparatively right. speaking. Um, and that's because an editor taking a chance on an unknown author, you know, I'm not, with a magazine, the name, you know, they're looking for... They're, they're looking for an Asimov, but someone who's alive. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're looking for a name to go on the cover because that's what gets yeah. people to pick up the magazine. And so the unknown person is someone that they're kind of investing in to hopefully have them be a name later, but they want right. something that will fill in the space between the names. Um, it, it's also a function of, you know, speaking of print magazines, of just how much space they have. Yeah, and They and have room for one novella and five short stories you're going to be able to sell a short right. story more easily. Right. And, and that, although the, the physical limitations have gone away with online magazines, the budgetary limitations have not right. gone away. So the mm-hmm. budget, you still have that, we have the budget for this many words. Yeah. So as a, as a new writer, if you can stay short, it'll, it'll serve you. The other thing that I will say is that when you are writing short fiction, the ones that I have reprinted the most are the ones that have been under four. Um, so, a quick rundown of this. I mean, write the story you want to write. Right. But, 4,000 words on short stories, trying to sell a novella to a magazine as an unknown name is really hard because the big names like to write novellas, and they're going to take those spots, and those spots are going to be on the, on the cover. For middle grade, I've heard 35,000 be a really solid number, and even 50,000. I wrote a middle grade at 55,000. They actually told me that was too long. Um, YA... The doors have been blasted off on YA, but I'd still try and keep your, your story around 70 to 80. Uh, science fiction, 80 to 90. Epic fantasy, or any, any type of fantasy, 120. Urban fantasy underneath that. Um, but I sold a 250 as a new author. You can do it, but keeping these word counts in mind and keeping the idea of generally shorter is going to serve you better. Yeah. Um, is, is a good way um, to go. Another genre you didn't mention is thriller, yes. which is down in the YA range. Those yeah. tend to be very short. In fact, a lot of the, the really solid thrillers by new writers are like 60,000 words yeah. or 70. Um, go, They're go, tiny. Go check out a James Patterson novel. Yeah. Those are around 50 or 60,000 mm-hmm. words. At risk of, at risk of overgeneralizing, um, if you are a new author submitting, um, you may also be a new writer. Mm-hmm. And if you have one novel under your belt and it's your 250,000 word magnum opus. Yeah. Um that's that's going to be a tough sell. I think you're better off writing some 70,000, 80,000, 100,000 word things, get some more things finished. Right? So that you have more to say. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to contradict that yeah. though. I didn't write a single one under 200,000 words. Never did. 
and the ones I tried were bad. Yeah. I am naturally a, a longer length writer. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that, mm -hmm. and and also the, you know, whatever you've got that's finished, you yeah. should be submitting it. And you right. should not. Yes. even yes, if they're yes, telling yes. you. Yeah. But we do need to end. We're way over length. Does anyone have a writing prompt that's occurred to them? No. Okay, I've I was got actually, one. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I've got one. Um, I actually think that the deadline thing would be a nice thing to try. Yeah. If you have never done it, I would like you to try um, keeping track of your word count for a day in a spreadsheet and try to watch hourly how much you're writing for an hour and set yourself a goal that's a stretch for the next your next writing session. See what you do naturally and then try and up it and see what that does. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.